Well, you guys can take a seat. You can take a seat. Um, wow, I am really loud right now. Taylor, I'm going to warn you right now. This is my low. So we're going to blast some eardrums in here if you leave me up this loud. Um, <laughs> anyways, well, good morning, church. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about this morning. And if you'd asked me if I was excited about this morning, yesterday morning, I would have probably given you a very, very different response because... Um, I'm speaking this morning on, a, uh, on unexpected miracles, and I know some of you who've been here throughout the summer are probably wondering, wait, you're counting. We talked about six churches so far, right? Like Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and the one I can never remember, Philadelphia. That's six, right? Six, yeah. So we're missing one church, and... Um, and we'll get to that next week. Don't worry about it. We'll talk about Laodicea next week. But, but it was so important that this message go out this week that God just threw a wrench in our plans. And um, I say this jokingly, but he screwed everything up. He screwed our plans up. Um, and I found out yesterday, uh, well, Friday, first I'll say Friday, I, I had, I've been working on this message for next week, and I had about 10% of it done. I was, I was feeling good, but I was like, I've got all of next week to prep it. And then Saturday morning, 10% of my message done, got a call from Martin. He can't come to church this morning. He was supposed to preach this last message. So um, over the course of the next half an hour, God gave me a direct download of the entire rest of this message. So if you enjoy this message, it's not me. It's, it, honestly, it's not me. I was just busy typing. I'm just the mouthpiece right now because this is all what God gave me to share. And, and what I really want to say is, is if you are here this morning, if you're hearing my voice this morning, that God has something for you. And if you listen to this message and you're wondering, is this for me? Is this message really for me? The answer is yes. There's a reason you're in this building this morning. There's a reason that I'm speaking this message this morning. If our plans went according, if everything went according to our plans, I'd be speaking next week. You might not hear this message, but if you're here listening to me now and you're hearing this message, know that God was in it. So I want to start us off this morning with a story out of Luke 5, Luke 5, verse 17. And it says, one day, many Jewish religious leaders known as Pharisees, along with many religious scholars, came from every village in Galilee throughout Judea, and even from Jerusalem to hear Jesus teach. And the power of the Lord God surged through him instantly to heal the sick. I love that. I love that. Not saying that Jesus wasn't able to heal people in any moment. It wasn't saying that Jesus couldn't heal whenever he wanted, but it's saying that in this moment, the power of God was with him to heal. And, and then it goes on and it says, Some men came to Jesus carrying a paraplegic man on a stretcher. They attempted to bring him in past the crowd to set him down in front of Jesus, but because there were so many people crowding the door, they had no way to bring him inside. So they crawled onto the roof, committing an act of vandalism. They dug their way through the roof tiles and lowered the man, stretcher and all, into the middle of cr the crowd right in front of Jesus. And I love this last verse. Seeing their demonstration of faith, Jesus said to the paraplegic man, My friend, your sins are forgiven. I love this story because we see these friends... And they're convinced, if we can only get our paraplegic friend in front of Jesus, he will be healed. And they climb up on the rooftop. They damage the roof. They lower him in front of Jesus. And 
And Jesus' response, seeing their faith is, your sins are forgiven. So I want to talk to you all on this, this morning on the topic of unexpected miracles. Unexpected miracles. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I pray, Lord, that you will give me the words to speak this message the same way I received it. God, you showed me such an incredible thing with this story. And God, I just pray that I will be your mouthpiece speaking to your people, Lord. Give us all ears to hear and hearts to listen and to receive what you are saying, God. Let us see your incredible power at work among us this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Unexpected miracles. You know, I think honestly, sometimes one of the biggest things that can stop a move of God and can stop what God wants to do in our lives is it really comes down to a lack of expectation. That sometimes God has something incredible he wants to do in each of our lives, but because we're not expecting him to do something, we, he doesn't do it. I think sometimes a lack of expectation, we, we just have this lack of expectation that God will actually do what he says he will do. You see, in Scripture, we have all kinds of promises from God. All kinds of promises that, that come from God about what he will do. Like uh, in Isaiah 41.10, he promises to strengthen us and to help us. Deuteronomy 31.8, he promises never to leave us or to forsake us. John 16.33, he promises to give us peace. Matthew 11.28, to give us rest. Jeremiah 29.11, to give us prosperity. In James 5, it tells us that he promises to heal us. If any of you are sick, call for the elders of the church and have them lay hands on them, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick, for the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And often, I think, the very thing that ensures we don't live a life out of the promises that God makes and out of the promises that he has for us and that he says he'll give to us is a lack of expectation on our part. See, 1 Corinthians 1, it says, For the man, Jesus Christ, whom we preached among you, Paul, Silvanus, or Paul, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For in him, every one of God's promises is yes. It's for this reason that we say amen to the glory of God. Every one of God's promises for our lives we see here is yes. It is all available to us. And then 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, it says, And God is able to bless you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may be able to share abundantly in every good work. God is the God of yes, and God is the God of blessing. And all too often, we go about our lives thinking that he is less than he is. Thinking that he is less powerful than he is. Thinking that he is not powerful enough to change our lives, not, not, that doesn't care about us enough to do something and to interact with us. And you see, all too often, this is why we see Christians and churches that, that preach this this falsehood that God doesn't perform miracles, that healing is dead, that the gifts of the Spirit are dead. And these, these, these Christians in these churches, they, they preach this doctrine that we call cessationalism, which means, well, God did it back then. He did it in the days of the Bible. He did it through the apostles, but that, he doesn't do that anymore. Jesus did that, but no, 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 that was just limited to when Jesus was, was around. And, and now it's essentially limiting God to being this distant deity who barely interacts with his people. And, and the reality is that these Christians in these churches, they don't expect God to move. So they don't see him move in, their pow in, in power. 
Or, or to quote Bill Johnson, the apostle down at Bethel Church in Reading, um, who really pioneered a lot of the, the healing movement we see nowadays, um, born out of Azusa Street in 1908 or something like that. Uh, he says this, he says, the doctrine stating signs and wonders are no longer needed was created by people who hadn't seen God's power and needed an explanation to justify their powerless churches. Because you see, Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, the message of salvation was first declared by the Lord and then attested by those who heard him. With God adding his testimony by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Spirit distributing, distributed according to his will. See, what we see here is Miracles, signs, wonders, the gifts of the Spirit are actually a testimony from God that the message of Jesus is true. It's God saying, yeah, Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, you believe in him, you will go to heaven. I am standing and staking and saying, that is true by pouring out my Spirit, by pouring out healing, by pouring out miracles, by pouring out faith, by pouring out prophecy. Those are signs that God is true and that his message is true and but while I think that sometimes a lack of expectation hinders what God is able to do in our lives, I, I still love that God is the God of the unexpected. That God is the God of the unexpected. That the beauty of God is, is that he's not willing to be confined by our expectations. Sometimes we can stop what he's going to do in our, in our lives and in our church because we don't expect him to do it, but... But all too often, God has a really fun time of just being like, hmm, your theology looks really good. I'm just going to kick that over right now because that's not true. I want to reveal to you something about myself that you don't know, that you don't expect. I want to blow your expectations out of the water because God is more than we expect him to do. Un unexpected miracles. Those are the ways that God wants to move in our lives that we don't yet have the faith to believe for that we don't expect him to do. You know, going back to Luke 5, I, I really love this story that we find here. The story, Jesus, he's teaching in this house, and all of the religious leaders, all the people who really didn't like Jesus are gathered around him. I don't know why. If you don't like somebody, why do you listen to them? Uh, I don't know. Um, but, but Jesus is preaching, the, the Pharisees are listening, there's a large crowd, and, and these friends bring their paraplegic paraplegic friend to Jesus to, for healing. And, and I especially love the inventiveness we see here from these friends. It says, verse 18, some men came to Jesus carrying a paraplegic man on a stretcher. They attempted to bring him in past the crowd to set him down in front of Jesus, but because there were so many people crowding the door, they had no way to bring him inside. So they crawled onto the roof, dug their way through the roof tiles, and lowered the man, stretcher and all, into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Let's pause there for a second. Because these friends had such faith that they believed if they could just get their friend in front of Jesus, he'd be healed. If they could just get him to Jesus, the, their friend could be healed. It's, it's this confidence they had, and it likely came from the fact that they'd heard testimony time and time and time again of the miracles that Jesus had done before. See, Luke 4.16, we, we find Jesus, he's preaching to his hometown and he reveals to them, hey, I'm the son of God. And, and it says that 
the people of his town are mad at him, and so they take him and they try to throw him off a cliff. But, but I love the end of the passage is it says he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. I'm, I'm just sorry. Uh, uh, pause there for a second. Uh, angry crowd trying to throw Jesus off a cliff, and he just walks through them and leaves. I don't know how he did it, but there's some theories out there about Jesus being able to walk through walls. And actually, we see it in, in John, uh, I think it's John, six, or, um, John 20, 21 or something like that, where it, is, it says that the disciples, they're meeting, this is after Jesus' death, the disciples are meeting in a house and the doors are shut. They're very clear the doors are shut because the disciples are afraid and Jesus just appears in front of them. Hey, guys. I don't know. That might mess your theology, but that's fine. Um, <coughs> Then Luke 4, 38, a couple verses later, we see Jesus, he goes to Simon's mother-in-law's house, and she's really sick, and she has this insane fever, and he goes into her house, and he says, get out of her fever, I rebuke you, and the fever leaves. Sorry, that's also not taught in Bible college on how to heal people, um, but he rebukes the fever, and it leaves her, and then after that, it says that all the sick in the town came to him, and he laid his hands on all of them, and all of them were healed. Nothing like clearing out a hospital, clearing out a town, like healing everyone in the town. Or, or even just a couple verses before Luke 5.17 and in 5.12, we see uh, this unclean leper comes to Jesus. And a leper is someone who had this, uh, this skin condition known as leprosy. It was highly contagious. Under Jewish law, you could not touch a leper because if you touch them, you would catch leprosy and you would become unclean. And this leper comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, will you heal me? And Jesus puts his hand on him and says, be healed. And he's healed. The clean touches the unclean, and instead of the unclean spreading, the unclean leaves. And so these friends, they had likely heard these stories of what Jesus had done, these miracles that Jesus had done, and and in an act of faith, in a desperate act of faith, they decided, let's just risk it. Let's just bring our friend to Jesus. But right away, as they're bringing the friend to Jesus, they encounter an obstacle. There's a crowd in the way. There's a crowd in the way. They can't get to him. So there's a crowd in the way. You know, I have to wonder how many of us were good following Jesus when it's easy. But as soon as there's an obstacle, we just want to give up. Like walking down the road following Jesus. Oh, yeah, this is great. This is great. This is great. Oh, no, Jesus. There's an obstacle. I, I, I can't. I, I'm done. Like, we put them on the back burner for a time because, it, because it's more difficult, because our life gets stressful, because people hurt us or people mock us, because money gets tight, life gets difficult. And, and so we put Jesus to the side for a season because it's not as easy as we thought it would be. See, it's easy to follow Jesus when life seems great, but it takes true faith to follow Jesus when there's an obstacle in your way. Because you see, as much as God's promises are available to all of us, as much as he wants to bless all of us, as much as God is working all things together for our good, the reality is that we live in a broken world. And in a broken world, there are broken people. And broken people like to break and hurt people. So bad things will happen because we live in a broken world, and bad things will happen because broken people like to break and hurt people. So we, we, we live in a world where things will happen to us, and obstacles will come up, and things life will be tough, and we never have a promise from God that life will be easy. We just have a promise in Romans 8.28 that he will work it all out together for our good. 
which means that sometimes when we have an obstacle, I know you don't like to hear this, but you just need to persevere. You just need to push on through. You just need to keep on believing. And the friends, they encounter an obstacle. There's this crowd in their way, and they can't get through. And I'm guessing that the crowd is really rude because I'd be like, oh, dude, you have a man on a stretcher. You need to see Jesus. Here, let me, let me clear a path. But the crowd doesn't care. They just well, the friend, leave the friends outside. So, but the friends are so convinced that if they just get this man in front of Jesus, if they just get their friend in front of Jesus, he'll be healed. So, so they go up on this roof and they commit an act of vandalism. How many of you would destroy your neighbor's roof if it meant seeing Jesus? Anyone? A few people. Okay. All right. I'm sure your insurance companies love you. Um, but you see, the reality in this time is, is that the houses in this area in this time period, they were typically flat-roofed houses, and they typically had a staircase leading up the side of it. So you'd have this, this small house, maybe one room or maybe two rooms, flat roof, staircase leading up, so you had like a rooftop patio, which sounds pretty sweet. Um, but and usually these roofs, they were made out of this mixture of clay and mud. But it's interesting because Luke says they dug through the tiles, which we don't see when Mark retells the story, and I think it's Mark 5, we don't see, Mark just says they dug through the roof. But, but in Luke, he specifies the tiles. And in, in ancient Israel at this time period, the roofs were not made out of tiles, but in Rome they were, in Greece they were. So you could import roofing tiles from Rome and from Greece and build your house. But to do so, if you had a roof with tiles that meant one thing, you had a lot of money. And so I'm not saying this is the case because it doesn't really specify, but quite possibly these, these friends, they come to this house, they encounter, um, they encounter a crowd they can't get, so they climb up the staircase, and then they go onto this rich man's roof, and they're like, hmm, what should we do with these very expensive clay tiles? Like, <laughs> they would not have been able to pay to fix it. Let's just be real. Uh, and so they dig a hole through the roof just to get to Jesus. Do you know how much faith it takes to destroy someone else's home just to get to Jesus? <laughs> Don't worry, we're getting to the good part of the story. And then they lower their friend down. In front of Jesus, and what happens in that moment is absolutely shocking. Verse 20, seeing the demonstration of their faith, Jesus said, oh, you're healed. No, no, he said to the paraplegic man, my friend, your sins are forgiven. Yay! Well, that's awkward. Can you imagine being the friends who just destroyed someone's house to get your friend to Jesus so that he could be healed? And Jesus is like, oh, I forgive you. What? What? And I can imagine in that moment how they must have felt. The Bible doesn't actually tell us how they felt or how they reacted. But, but the, you can imagine the stress they felt. They destroyed a roof. They destroyed property. They lowered the friend just to get him healed. And Jesus just reacts with, I forgive you. Well, Jesus, that doesn't help Jimmy walk. Thanks a lot, Jesus. We're going to go down to the next prophet's house. Maybe dig a hole through that roof, too. And in that moment, the Bible actually tells us they weren't the only people who would have been upset. Because not only are these friends expecting Jesus to perform a miracle, and he doesn't, but remember how I said at the start, the, uh, verse 17, how the Pharisees were around them? 
So picture the Pharisees as the stuck-up Christian friend who you never want to have. Legalistic, self-righteous, I'm perfect, you're not. You need to change to become more like me because I am godly and I am perfect. It was like the Old Testament stuck-up um, Christians of the day where they had all of the laws and they followed all of the laws and then they kicked you if you failed in one part of it. And so they're there, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the goody two-shoes are there and they're gathered around Jesus. In verse 21, the Jewish leaders and the religious scholars whispered objections among themselves. Who does this man think he is to speak such blasphemy? Only God can forgive sins. Does he think he is God? See, sometimes the miracle we expect doesn't come on the way we want, and that can leave us questioning everything. And in the Bible, again, it doesn't tell us what the friends were thinking. It just tells us that the religious leaders, well, they were mad. They were mad. Because you see, in the Old Testament, a prophet might say, the Lord has put away your sin. The Lord will forgive your sin. But in this moment, Jesus is not saying to this man, hey, God forgives you. Jesus is saying to this man, I forgive you. I forgive you. And to the religious institutions of the day, that was heresy. That was blasphemy. That was a problem. And it made them want to kill Jesus. Because you see, the religious institutions will always have a problem when God decides to break out of the box that they put him in. But you know, it's in those moments when God breaks out of the box of our expectations God breaks the mold of what we think he can do. It's in those moment that, moments that the power of God shines the brightest. You see, God has no problem ruining our theology if it means reaching a lost child. He's no problem ruining your theology if it means helping you or protecting you or being there for you or making a way in a situation where there is no way. He has no problem ruining our theology. And I, you have to understand me here because what I'm not saying is that God changes. The Bible tells us that God is the same today, or yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change, but often we have a misunderstanding of who God is, and God has no problem breaking that misunderstanding. He's not willing to be limited by our beliefs. You want to believe that God doesn't heal? That's great. You can believe that, but God is going to still go, and he's still going to heal despite what you believe. And Jesus forgives the man's sins, and the Pharisees get upset. And they're complaining about Jesus, and verse 22, Jesus responds. It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Why do you argue in your hearts over what I do and think that it is blasphemy for me to say that his sins are forgiven? I just have to back up there again. They're whispering to one another. They're thinking, wow, Jesus, blasphemy. And it says, Jesus read their minds. Um, again, if this blows your theology, I haven't studied this verse in depth, um, or this part of this verse in depth, so I don't know exactly what to think of it, but I just love that Jesus is like, uh, knows exactly what they're thinking in this moment. Why do you argue in your hearts over what I do and think that it is blasphemy for me to say his sins are forgiven? Let me ask you, which is easier to prove when I say your sins are forgiven or when I say stand up, carry your stretcher, and walk. And you see, in that instant, Jesus is flipping the script on them because the reality is it's very easy for anyone to say, your sins are forgiven. And it's impossible to prove. 
cannot be proven or disproven. If I say your sins are forgiven, I cannot prove that I have the authority to do that. But it is very hard to, to tell the same man, get up and walk, because that can be tangibly proven in a moment. See, if Jesus says that to the man and they're like, okay, buddy, get up and walk, and the guy doesn't get up and walk, that means Jesus is a fraud. But if the man can walk, it demonstrates that Jesus has the authority to heal this man. And because he has that authority, that also means he has the authority to forgive the man's sins. Demonstrates that Jesus is more than they expect and In this moment, verse 24, Jesus turned to the paraplegic man and said, To prove to you all that I, the Son of Man, have the lawful authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you now, stand up. Carry your stretcher and go home, for you are healed. And in an instant, the man rose up right before their eyes. He stood, picked up a stretcher, and went home, giving God the glory with every step he took. And in that moment, the unexpected happened. The unexpected miracle happened. But you know, as great as it is to see that this man was healed and to hear that this man was healed, what I really love about the story is how Jesus' first reaction was actually to forgive, not to heal. His first reaction was to forgive. See, ancient belief at the time was that there was a link between illness and sin. If you sin, you will get sick. And if you are sick, that is because you have sinned. That's why in in John 9, when the disciples are walking down the road and with Jesus and they see this blind man, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus had to be like, no, 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 no. That's not the situation here. This man was born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed through him. It's more than sickness. It's more than sin. So in this moment, Luke 5, in healing this man, Jesus is actually addressing a deeper issue. He's addressing more than the physical health of this man. But he's providing healing to the whole man. Body, mind, and soul. See, I don't think God is interested in just making your life better. I think God wants to change your life, to change your life, to change you and to change the circumstances around you. He doesn't want to just heal your body. He wants to heal you, your body of illness and disease and and pain, your mind of illness and anxiety and, and shame and your soul of sin. He wants to heal the complete you. It's likely why, if we were to look at the story in John 9 of the blind man, we see Jesus, he makes this statement about, no, this man was born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed through him. And then the next thing he does is he goes up to him and he spits in the mud, or he spits in the dirt and then makes mud out of saliva and then takes it and spreads it across the man's eyes. Could Jesus have healed him with a word? Yes. Could he have healed him with a touch? Yes. Could he have healed him in any, many different ways? Yes. But in this moment, Jesus is trying to heal more than that. 
Because this man had been judged and spit on because he was born blind. The people thought he had sinned or his parents had sinned and God was taking out judgment on him. So as they passed, they would have just gone and spit on him. It's a sign of his shame. And so Jesus in that moment, he didn't want to just heal the blindness. He wanted to heal the whole man. So he uses the very thing that people had been using to put him down to heal him. So see, Jesus is a miracle worker. He's the God who heals and he wants to heal the whole you. And the reality we see in scripture is that Jesus is perfect theology, which means that Jesus is an exact representation of God. Hebrews 1 actually tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's very being. Jesus is a revelation uh, of, of God's character and God's nature. In, in John 5, Jesus tells us that, um, that he can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing he can do. So if Jesus went around healing people, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means that if Jesus healed, God is still healing today. And you know, I believe that the God who healed and forgave the paraplegic man lowered through the roof on a stretcher. The God who healed the, the eyes and the mind of the blind man. The God who raised Lazarus from the dead with a word after four days in the tomb. The God who I've seen time and time again heal necks and backs in fertility and cancer and shame and anxiety and depression and all kinds of other problems. That same God who we've seen move in power wants to move here today. He wants to heal you. So what we're going to do in this moment is really, really simple. If I can have our, our prayer team come forward right now. What I wanted to encourage you all to do this morning is simple. If, if you are suffering from anything, whether it's an illness or a disease or pain in your body, whether it's anxiety or shame or depression or mental illness or whatever it may be, I want to encourage you to come down to the front and get prayer from our prayer team. We have this incredible prayer team this morning who would love to pray for all of you. They have masks available if that would make you more comfortable. But they would love to pray with you because we believe that God wants to move in power. And if you're here and, and you're online or, or, or you're not yet comfortable to be up close with people, that's totally fine. Because I want to invite you to reach out to our prayer team online. Pastor Martin and Christine are actually going to be online and they're going to be taking prayer requests online. So if you are online or, or you're here and you're not yet comfortable coming forward for prayer, I just want to encourage you to reach out to them online. Go to gateway.ac slash live. There's a button that says need prayer. It'll open up our, our website chat and you'll be able to chat directly uh, with our prayer team online. And, and I have to say, that's not an inferior way to receive prayer either. God is not limited by our, by our walls. I actually got a testimony a couple weeks ago about someone who, who had reached out because a member of their family had cancer and we'd sent them a prayer back, just a typed reply and prayed for them. And then I got a testimony about three weeks ago about how the cancer had just left. How God had just healed them. Because God is not limited by our expectations. 
He is willing to do whatever it takes to heal you. He wants to meet you here, now, today. But if you're not ready to come forward, he still will meet you where you're at. So in a moment here, we're going to go into some more worship. We're just going to sing some more songs and worship God together. But I want to invite everyone who needs healing to take the opportunity. To take that opportunity to, to get healing, to get prayer, to meet God and to see what God is willing to do in your life today. So Father God, I just pray over your people, Lord. We thank you that you are the God of miracles and that you are the God who loves us no matter what. So God, I pray, feel your spirit is here right now. God, I pray that you will move in power in this place. Pour out healing, pour out miracles, strip away anxiety, depression, shame, heal mental illness, heal addiction, heal pain in the body, God, heal cancer, infertility, any problem that people have in this room today, God, I pray that your healing touch will be on them and bring healing to all of us this morning, God. We thank you that you are going to do incredible things in our midst. Pray this in your name. So if you're in need of healing right now, I want to invite you as we all stand together and worship. If you're in need of healing, take this opportunity to come down, get prayer, and chat with our prayer team online.